Hey, good morning and welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday service. We meet in person and online every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Now, online, we're here with you. Uh, we are on our Facebook page. We are on our website, faithonhill.com. We have an audio-only version that is available on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All you have to do is search Faith on Hill. Now, if you are watching on our Facebook page, welcome. We are glad that you are here. We'd love for you to say hello in the chat and introduce yourself. Let us know how we can pray for you. Um, let us know who you are that you're here. We just want to say hello. But we do believe that our best viewing and interactive experience is at faithonhill.com. Now, as far as things going on around the church, not much. We are we're already a simple church in terms of our programs before COVID and uh, even more so now. But the main thing that we do outside of Sunday mornings is small groups. So I want to invite you to one of our small groups. We have an online Zoom small group that meets every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com or you can email me directly, adam at faithonhill.com, and I can get you the link to that small group. Um, to be together, to be in community. Uh, we talked about that last week in our study of the book of Daniel, that Daniel had a crisis and immediately he, he knew who he was going to turn to and who was going to pray with him through that crisis. His friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we'll read about today. So every Wednesday night, we have a Zoom small group, 7 p.m. You can email me for the link. If you have a Bible, you can open it, open your Bible app, however it is you access uh, the Word of God, and you can turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. I want to read from God's Word right now. I believe that this is true. I believe that this is authoritative. I believe that this is accurate. I believe that God's Word is powerful and that God, through His Holy Spirit, brings these words to life in our souls if we will let Him. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, that King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. That's about 90 feet high and about 9 feet wide. I don't know the meters if you're in Canada, but, uh, but about 90 feet high. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefix, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that the king had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace." 
Therefore, as soon as they heard all the sound of flute, horn, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods nor worship the images of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of horn and flute, zither, lyre, harp, and pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar. I want to I make a note here that they are being respectful, that they are not, even though they are being defiant, they are not obeying this command. They are still being respectful. I think that's important to note. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. So his attitude before them changed. The indication is that before he was gracious, forgiving. These are high officials in his kingdom, in his capital. So maybe he likes these guys personally and he's trying to give them a, 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 give them a break. But when they would not, when they directly defied him in front of everyone, then his attitude changes. And he orders the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Verse 20. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing robes and trousers and turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, 
I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. The fourth looks like the son of God, or looks like a son of the gods, excuse me. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is God's word. This, this story, the, the whole point of this story is not about the furnace. Now, I can understand why people would say that, and I'll explain why I think that it is not about the furnace in a moment. But I think it's important to establish something here. Just as the agenda of King Nebuchadnezzar was opposed to the true God, just as his agenda was opposed to the worship of the true God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the same way, the agenda of the world that we are currently in is anti-Christ. It is opposed to Jesus. That's not the narrative that I grew up with. Maybe you grew up with a similar narrative. The narrative that said that America was part of Christendom, the Christian lands, places like America and Canada, England and Germany, and basically where the white people lived. And then there was Christendom, and then there was everywhere else that was where the godless heathens and pagans lived. Now, I personally do not believe that is true. And that is why my personal view is that we were told we were born in Jerusalem, but we were living in Babylon the whole time. And if somebody else's view is that they were born in Jerusalem and now they're in Babylon, again, I don't want to argue that point. But my main thrust here, the thing I'm trying to get across, is that wherever we came from, this is where we are at. Wherever we came from, this is where we are at. The agenda of this world is Antichrist. And some might say, well, Adam, I watched the inauguration this week. Garth Brooks invited the whole nation to sing Amazing Grace with him. I'm not interested in what somebody says. I'm interested in what somebody does. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3 tells us that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. 
We hear the word antichrist and we think of a man. We think of somebody very sinister. We think of somebody from the movies like, you know, the omen or something like that. And he's, he's just inherent evil. But what the Bible teaches is that there's a spirit that's anti, opposed to Christ. And what do you see here in, in chapter 3? You see oppression. Because when the herald says peoples of every nation and language, what he's saying is there were representatives of every nation that the Babylonians had conquered. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whose real names were Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, as we learned the last couple chapters, that they had been captured and taken in chains from their home of Jerusalem in Israel, and they had been taken to Babylon. And now they were there, and yes, they are high officials in the empire, but they are there as captives. In the same way, all of these other officials around them were from other cities and nations and tribes who had been conquered and taken captive by the Babylonians. And so the Babylonians would take, and they would take these guys captive, and then if somebody back in the homeland starts acting up, they start killing the captives, or they use it the other way. Hey, this guy's causing trouble. Write to your people and tell them to knock it off. So they are there because of oppression, and they are there in the plains of Dura for the purpose of idolatry. And there is the threat of violence. If you are oppressed people, do not engage in this idolatry. There will be violence towards you. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Jesus, who came to set the captives free, the opposite of, of his work is oppression. Jesus, who is the true God, who casts down our false gods and brings us freedom. Idolatry is the opposite of his work. Violence, Jesus, who came and suffered. Jesus, who came meek and lowly. And here is this threat of violence. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, come to my idol or I will kill you. Now, someone might say, Adam, I like what you're saying, but here's the thing. I've read a history book. What about the Spanish Inquisition? What about the Crusades? What about the history of the Christian church where people have been converted at the threat of violence, even in our own country? Did you know that that's the case? Look up the Hans Mill Massacre, where so-called Christians massacred an entire town of non-Christians, Mormons. Terrible thing. Terrible part of American history. I recognize that there are three entities called the church. There is the true church, and that is any woman, man, girl or boy, old or young, who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, for, for whom that Jesus has saved us, that Jesus has taken us from the death of sin and brought us to life in him. And any person I, that is in that faith, I recognize as being part of the true church of Jesus Christ. And they, I'll tell you, that's been one of the coolest things in my experience. I, I haven't traveled as much as some, but I have traveled more than many. 
I've been to Russia, Germany twice, Austria once, the Netherlands kind of. Uh, I've traveled all over the UK. In fact, this week is 20 years ago, this, this last week, that I moved at age 18 to Manchester, England, and I spent about half of my 20s living in the UK. And I've traveled all over. And I've gotten to go down to Mexico, and I've traveled all over the western part of the United States, a few eastern states. I've been up to Canada. I've, I've seen all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. And I have met, in all of those different cultures, true Christians. And I've had great fellowship with them. And, and I have sung with Christians in Russian and in German. I have prayed with Christians in Mexico, and I, I have met, uh, while I was in England, I actually met, I think, more people from other parts of the world there than I did in traveling, because I, I have met people from Africa and people from Asia and, and people from all over, uh, places, parts of the former British Empire. I, I, I remember once being on the streets of Manchester, uh, open air, preaching the gospel with a brother from Malawi in Africa. And here he is, the, the descendant of a, a, a colony, and I am the descendant of a British colony, and we have returned to England, each of us in our own separate way, and now we are preaching the gospel to the British. But he was of the true church. And, and when you meet people and you recognize that true fellowship, and, and, I, and it, it's not just people that look like us or, or worship Jesus with the same tradition. Uh, I've, I, I just before, in fact, just like a couple days before we went into lockdown, I, I went to the Thursday morning service at the Eastern Orthodox Church down on Rusgrove here, here in Milwaukee. And I enjoyed a great time of fellowship with those brothers and sisters that worship in a different tradition of the true church than we do. I recognize the true church. I recognize the local church. So even though the, there's the church universal, Faith on Hill is, is the, a local expression of the true church. And just as, uh, you know, there are all kinds of different churches around, there are local expressions of the true church. But then there is also an institution, an institution called the church. And I do not recognize it. And I don't believe the true believers really do. That, that there is a sense in which you understand that the this, the true church of Jesus flows throughout history. But the institution called the church might have nothing to do with that. It doesn't take much reading to know that there were popes that seemed to be true followers of Jesus and that there were popes who were wicked, wicked men. So just because somebody is institutionally called the church... Just because somebody is institutionally called a pastor, somebody is institutionally called an elder or a bishop, it does not mean that they represent Jesus. So I make no apology for Christian history, and partly because some of what gets called church history, I don't recognize as the history of the true church. I don't see Jesus there. I do know this. Romans 8 says that the person who has not been redeemed Jesus, the person whose heart and mind are still set on this world of sin, what the, what, the, what the Bible calls the deeds of the flesh. Romans 8 says that they are not subjected to the laws of God and that they are not even able to do so. 
So I can look around and I can see that the agenda of this world, including parts of this world that call themselves the church, is the spirit of Antichrist. And so here we are as exiles. And we live in a world and in a a society and a culture that is designed for us to not follow Jesus. We live in a world that is designed for us to give in to sin. Whether it is corruption, whether it is lust, whether it is substance abuse, whether it is hatred and fear, whether it is bigotry and racism, we live in a world with systems of sin that are designed for us to give in to this spirit of Antichrist. And it is everywhere. And that's the situation that Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves in. Their whole system was one of violence, idolatry, and oppression. How do Christians who are exiles in this world, this is not our home, just as Babylon was not their home, it was where they were living, but it was not where they were from or where they wanted to be. They were living in the kingdom of Babylon, but they were from the land of Israel. We live in this world, but we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is our true king. So how do we live? And in the last few weeks, we've looked at that. In Daniel chapter 1, we talked about how exiles live differently. Last week in Daniel chapter 2, we talk about how exiles live dependently, that the only way we can survive is by being fully dependent on God's work in us. This week, the big idea is that exiles do not bow down. They are brought to the plains of Dura. It's disagreement about exactly where it was, but it was probably just outside, maybe north of the city of Babylon. If you have a map in your head of the Middle East and you know where Baghdad is roughly because we fought a few wars there, Babylon was about 60 miles south, about the distance between Portland and Salem, but but about 60 miles south of where modern Baghdad is today. And somewhere out on this flat stretch of land, this 90-foot statue plated in gold has been put up. It shows the wealth of the empire. It shows the power of the king. And he is demanding worship. Exiles bend until it's essential, and then they stand firm. We do not bow down. And here's what I mean by that. They took the names. All through this chapter, they are referred to as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Why? Because the people that they are interacting with are officials of the Babylonian Empire or the king of the Babylonian Empire. That's who they're interacting with. When they interacted with Daniel or with other Jews, they went by their true names, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And we talked a few weeks ago about how their their Hebrew names were honoring towards the true God. Well, their Babylonian names were, were blasphemous names. Yet, they took those names and they said, fine, that's our name in Babylonian. That's our work name. That's what, we're, that's what they're going to call us, so that's what we're going to go by. 
We learned in chapter one that they would not eat the food, the, the food that was sacrificed to idols, the food that was not kosher, it was forbidden, it was not for children of Israel to eat. They would not drink the wine, not a prohibition against alcohol, but they would not partake in the idolatry that was involved in the wine and the drunkenness that was involved with the wine. So here they are. They say, we'll take your name. We'll do your work, right? They're there as captives, but they went and did the work. They, they had a job. You know, they were overseers. They were officials. They were bureaucrats. So they went and did their job. And it sounds like from what we gather from the book of Daniel that they were good at their jobs. They worked hard. Many of us in your jobs, whether you're a, a nurse or a school teacher, whether you're on the job site, whether you're a student, you're going to be asked to do things, and you are being asked to do things that are not godly things. And we bend where we can. That doesn't mean that it's good. The more that God's worked in my life, the more that God has, has done his work in my life, and I know his truth, and I know his righteousness, and I know his good ways, the more grieved I am by the way the world is. And quite honestly, if I'm honest, I would say that I am not grieved enough by how wicked and sinful this world is. But even so, we still have to live in it. Are there jobs Christians can't do? Yes. I firmly believe there are jobs Christians cannot do. I also believe that increasingly it's becoming the case that there are jobs that Christians will not be able to do going forward. But then there are parts of our jobs as Christians that are painful things. Um, some of you who are educators know that you are starting more and more you are asked to do things that are unbiblical or to support ideas that are unbiblical. Um, when I was working, uh, you know, I worked for 10 years uh, in management for um, Kroger, which is the same company as Fred Myers. I was just in a different division. And, you know, I never liked selling cigarettes, right? It's not healthy for anybody. It's addictive. Like I never liked doing that. It was a part of my job. I really hated it. It really grieved me. I did not like that part of my job. There are, are things that you just go, okay, this is something that's part of what I do. And it doesn't mean that I endorse it. It doesn't mean that I'm partaking, but this is part of my job. And then there comes a place that you can't go any further. They wouldn't eat the meat and they wouldn't bow their knee. And I believe there are Christians who are crying wolf in our day, right now. And they're saying, oh, we're being persecuted. Oh, it's tyranny. And I believe that that does two things. First of all, it's incredibly insulting, shamefully insulting to the truly persecuted church around the world and throughout history. But I also believe it weakens our witness because then we say, oh, I'm being persecuted. Oh, I'm being persecuted. Am I really? Or am I just being asked to do something I don't want to do or I don't particularly like? What happens when true persecution comes? And I believe it's, it will happen and it is coming. We see it. Again, the story isn't about the furnace. 
the trial that they're going through isn't the furnace. That's the consequence or the result. But imagine being Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you are walking to the plains of Dura because you had to travel. And, and so you've left your, your home or your office in the capital city, Babylon, and now you're walking out or you're riding out. They might have been important enough to have a donkey or a horse or something, but they're on their way. And from a distance, I mean, when there's a 90-foot statue, you can see that thing. And so from a distance, you can see this great thing. Oh, this is not looking good. The, the, the trial, the ordeal was everything leading up to that moment. The trial was being brought before the king in front of all the officials, knowing the consequence. That's the trial that they went to. It's not about the furnace. It's about that they were fearless because of God in that moment. We bend until it's essential. It's one thing to be polite, to be respectful, to be kind, to be loving. And right now, that's kind of where the line is in a lot of our jobs. That's what's being asked. But what happens when there comes a point where we are asked to publicly affirm as good what God calls evil? What happens when there comes a point where we are asked publicly to deny what God says? When we are called to bow down to the idolatry set before us? Even if we lose our job, even if we don't get a promotion, what happens then? You know, God will defend us. They say that here, O King. I, I really, really believe that verses 16 through 18 are the key verses of this story. And they say, King, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. So many Christians get defensive, get combative. What did they do? They spoke with respect. And then they said, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. God was with them when they stood firm. Even though it's going to feel like a defeat, God was with them in that moment. They stood firm. God was with them when their hands and legs were bound and these soldiers picked them and carried them off. You know, for a long time as a child, I just thought it was like immediate, like they just had a furnace sitting over to the side. No, they were probably carried back by these soldiers to somewhere in Babylon where they had these furnaces. Either they were there for the, they were probably like industrial sized furnaces for the, the firing of clay pots or for the cooking of large meals for the palace, wherever it was, they're brought to these places where there are furnaces that are big enough for multiple people to stand and walk around in. At least four. God's with them when they stood firm. And then they are thrown into the flames. God was with them then. Jesus stood with them. And I believe that was Jesus. That's just my own opinion. But I believe that was Jesus with them. And Jesus stood with them. The only thing that was touched was the ropes. Does that mean that if there comes a point where I'm asked to do something against my faith, to do something against Jesus, to call good what God has called evil, to call true what Jesus said is a lie? No, not necessarily. Maybe you will lose your job. But God will be with you. He'll stand with you. 
God will defend you as you walk through that trial. I believe that. Even when it feels like defeat. It felt like defeat when they were bound. It felt like defeat when they were carried. It felt like defeat when they were thrown in. And yet God was with them the whole time. And I believe that God was with them going forward. Chapter 3 ends much as chapter 2 ended. Chapter 3 ends with Nebuchadnezzar, verse 30, promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They got a job promotion. They got a raise. They got more uh, prominence or responsibility. That happened to them at the end of chapter 2. And they still got thrown in the fiery furnace in chapter 3. You may go through a trial, you come out the other side and think, oh, that's the end of the story. No, because we're still living. God's with us as we come to the trial. God's with us as we go through the trial. And God is with us going forward. It's not a question of whether God is with you. If you are not a Christian, God is with you right now. And he is saying, come to me. He's saying, repent of your sins. He's saying, turn away from this world of wickedness. Receive my forgiveness. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. If you are a Christian, God is with you right now. The Holy Spirit is in you. And he's with you as you go to the trial, as you go through the trial, and as you go forward in life. Even if it seems like a moment of defeat, God is with you. God has plans for you. God knows what's happening. I can think of some of the lowest moments in my life, some of the most trying moments, and I've seen God's work and God's moving. So as we live as Christians in this world, exiles of the kingdom of heaven in the worlds of sin and death, we live differently, we live dependently, and there's going to come a moment or there will be moments in our lives where we will be called to bow down to what is evil, called to bow down to oppression, called to bow down to violence, called to bow down to idolatry, and we must not bow. And if you are not a Christian and you're watching or you're listening and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, you say, you know what, my whole life has been given over to oppression. I've either been oppressed or I've been oppressing others. I've either been the victim of violence or I have given violence back or both. I, I've been idolatrous. I've worshipped as God things that are not God. Then the invitation is in your heart to cry out to Jesus for forgiveness of your sins and with your mouth to publicly declare that Jesus is Lord. And if that's you, whether you're watching or you're listening, whether you're with us at 10.30 a.m. or you're getting this sometime in the future, wherever you are at, if that's you, if you have cried out to Jesus, email me, Adam at faithonhill.com, so that I can pray with you and pray for you and encourage you in your decision to follow Jesus. And if you are a Christian and you say, I've been so tempted to bow down, or maybe I have bowed down, but I don't want to bow anymore. God's work, God's holiness is so powerful. The victory of Jesus is so available. Just cry out to him and reach out. God hears your prayer. God is with you in your trial. 
If you fear that you won't have the strength, God is able to give more strength than you will ever need. Because he knows you and he loves you and he died so that we could live in his victory. God bless you this week as we live in exile awaiting the return of our King.